eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Villarreal versus Liverpool was always going to be a David versus Goliath proposition. And for 45 minutes, an upset of biblical proportions looked on the cards. Alas, the Yellow Submarine's valiant efforts to make it to Paris come undone as Jurgen Klopp's Reds mounted a comeback within a comeback. I got James Bench, Jonathan Johnson, as well as Christina Unko will join later on for a cameo. We'll talk about both halves, of course, and much more, including Wednesday's action and a little bit of what happened outside of the Champions League. Que golazo Champions League semifinal recap begins right now. Everybody, welcome to Kego Lasso, Kego Lasso Pod on Twitter, youtube.com forward slash Kego Lasso. Please, we want your comments, we want your likes, and we want a lot of questions for James Bench and Jonathan Johnson. James Bench, how are you, sir? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Uh, I've seen all of our listeners out there have been deleting their cowardly tweets about my Premier League superiority, but just so you know, <laughs> our producer Des Norris is catching them, and he's and I'm right, because the Premier League is superior. Yes, I'm glad you're right, James Benjamin. Please, let's not alienate a complete audience. Uh, we do want to have people watching and listening to us. But look at this. Uh, is there a is there a live stream of James? I spell your name wrong as well. Disgraceful. Ridiculous. I, I think that's an improvement, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan Johnson, how are you, buddy? Doing well, thanks. And you know what? Seeing James Benj wearing like a tie-dye Aston Villa combination has really lifted my spirits after seeing VRL get crushed there. Just when we thought the history was going to be made. Oh, it's a little Fred Perry action there. I see James Benj. I love it. I love it. I love it. Welcome, everybody. James Benj, Jonathan Johnson, LME in the house. That's B-E-N-G-E, James Benj. Okay, just everybody. Uh, as an Eche guy, trust me, I get it when people get your name wrong, so it's fine. But welcome, everybody. Champions League Tuesday recap. And Liverpool reach their 10th Champions League final. After waking up in the second half and realizing that, oh, yeah, we, we're Liverpool. We better get to it. And they make it to Paris. An unbelievable achievement as is now their third cup final, of course, of the campaign. And the quadruple quest continues heroic from Villarreal. It must be said they have no business being in a semifinal. And, and they really made their fans proud, especially in the first half when, wow, things were really rocking. But James Bench, give me your overall thoughts about this game uh, as Liverpool reach their 10th Champions League final and how things went from a horrible first half to job done. Yeah, never in doubt, was it? <laughs> no, it was very much in doubt. And I have to say, I thought at half time the tie was getting away from them. Now, I think we all knew that 
and maybe the, the problem for, for, for Villarreal and Unai Emery's team was that they just saw, scored that second goal a little bit too early and that they woke up and at half time they came in and re- realised there was something to defend here. They, there was something to worry about, something to lose. And I think in, that, in those circumstances, it's a little bit natural of any team, but especially an underdog and especially an underdog coached by Unai Emery, it has to be said. Mm. It's a little bit natural to sit deep, to say, we've got something to defend here. Let's defend it. And that really is where things kind of went wrong for uh, for Villarreal. Of course, we have to say that it needed someone to make things go wrong. And I thought for Liverpool, Luis Diaz was absolutely that player. I think what was really apparent as that first half was rolling on was that, that these Liverpool players were starting to fear that something was going wrong, that the quadruple maybe was falling apart. I'm sure they wouldn't tell you that, but it looked like that watching it on TV. Luis Diaz plays with no fear whatsoever. And that's what swung this game for me. Um, I think VRL was certainly, to an extent, the architects of their own downfall. But, you know, the the punch of energy that, that Diaz brought at the top of the pitch, it echoed across the side. It scared Villarreal a little bit. And that's how in 12 minutes, and it was just 12 minutes, this game went from in the balance to over. Yeah, I think that there is, I mean, there's there's going to be a major temptation to come down hard on Villarreal. But I think, you know, to consider the way that these two legs played out, you know, they almost held Liverpool goalless for an hour at Anfield, uh, you know, and Liverpool got lucky with that opening goal uh, in the first leg. They got lucky again getting back into it this time through Fabinho. You have to question Geronimo really on a number uh, of Liverpool's goals over the two legs, unfortunately, you know, by the time it got to, to Mane's goal, I mean, it, you know, I don't think anyone was surprised to see really running out that far, considering how far the defence had pushed up. But I think there was always going to be that danger. There was always going to be that element, uh, you know, that that mental element. Once the first goal went in, that you know, Villarreal's hopes and dreams were going to be punctured. Uh, you know, because up until that point, it was going as well as could have possibly been hoped or dreamed, uh, you know, by by those fans, by Unai Emery himself, uh, and probably better as well. Uh, you know, I, I think when we were all looking at that uh, team sheet, especially with no Dan Juma, you know, suddenly you're thinking like, you know, where are Villarreal going to get one goal, let alone two? And then suddenly Etienne Capu pops up with probably as many assists in one game, one half, uh, as he's provided over the last five years or something like that. So, yeah. I mean, honestly, it really, it had a bit of everything, uh, you know, it had us thinking that the unthinkable was going to happen, sort of Deportivo La Coruña against AC Milan-esque. Uh, and then, you know, it fell apart. You know, the order was restored, I guess we we could say. And it, it really, it, it's frightening just how this Liverpool machine can crush any team, uh, you know, any ounce of... Um, you know, positivity uh, that a team can get uh, up against Jurgen Klopp's men can suddenly be ripped away from them in the blink of an eye. And like James said, you know, 12 minutes was all it took for Liverpool to turn this match on its head uh, and completely take back control of the tie. Well, you know, at the very least, Villarreal set uh, a good narrative in that first half, James Bench. At the very least, it was an exciting shock for the neutral, at least, and Villarreal fans. And obviously not a good shock for Liverpool fans that it was 2 nothing. How did Liverpool get it so wrong in that first half? Or how did Villarreal get it so right, I guess? Well, w- which way would you lean in that first half? I, I would like to start by leaning towards Villarreal and crediting them for a monumental effort and a, a commitment to pressing that we really do not see opponents of, of Liverpool attempt all that often, certainly if they're not called Manchester City. And I think to an extent that rattled Liverpool. 
they are used to now nowadays they are used to dominating possession dominating territory and not really seeing much in their face you know they know how now they're a team that's learned how to break down a low block but beyond maybe half a dozen games in every season they don't play many teams that just kind of gamble that they can match them man for man which is what Villarreal did superbly and they made the game play at the pace they wanted they wound Liverpool up credit to former Arsenal player Francis Coquelin who was magnificent in his brazen wind-up mission his <laughs> string of dives and cheap fouls and beautiful that. performance it's what you have to do equally Motoresque. yeah exactly <laughs> Equally, you know, there was clearly like something up with Liverpool. Uh, Thiago had his uh, worst uh, half for pass completion that he's had in a Premier League or Champions League game for Liverpool. Um, Did a Renato Sanchez and passed it out of play at one point. (laughs) Yeah. And there was one moment where Van Dijk just hit a pass to, well, it it looked to me like he was playing it to Thiago. Thiago seemed to think it was going to Jota. Jota thought it was going to Thiago. Um, You had Alexander-Arnold just spooning free kicks and crosses miles out. It was, I think, I think let's say, and let's assume it's hard to know, but let's kind of give, lean towards giving VRL credit and saying the VRL pressured Liverpool into making these mistakes. And like, although it's natural to want to sit back, to want to defend, I kind of do, I wonder if if in that second half, maybe they, they just expended too much energy, but could they have gone, could they have kept that up for another 15 minutes and just, you know, it was working. And I'm not sure that Diaz alone, as much as I've credited him, I'm not sure he alone would have changed this. And maybe, you know, we shouldn't, we don't want to blame VRL. They've, they've given us a fantastic semi-final, but maybe if they just kept that up for 15 minutes, they might have achieved what we all thought was impossible. Yeah, I think James has a point, uh, you know, and I really hope that sort of, you know, this this isn't, you know, everyone coming down on Unai Emery and saying, oh, you know, it's is what we saw from him with PSG against Barcelona. You know, they can't hold on to a lead. They capitulate. You know, I don't think it's anything really to do with that. I think there is an element of the fact that they just gave everything they could uh, and ultimately, you know, just didn't have anything left to give uh, at the point where Liverpool you know, got back in control of the game. The only thing that I would say, I guess, is if Emery was prepared to make some of the changes that he made later on, like throwing Chuck Weze on, uh, you know, why not have sort of kept that going a bit earlier in the game, you know, keep themselves on the front foot and then perhaps Liverpool don't get that chance, uh, you know, through Fabinho. Because if they don't get that break, you know, then maybe the game plays out, maybe it goes to extra time, you know, maybe Villarreal do somehow, uh, you know, have that uh, that second wind and, and find a third goal. But, Ultimately, uh, you know, I think that there's only so far that, you know, sort of the entire stadium willing that, uh, you know, come back to happen was going to take Villarreal until, you know, the limitations of the squad, uh, the unavailability of certain players like Dan Juma, you know, was going to come back and uh, and, and bite them. And unfortunately, uh, you know, we saw what happened when that, uh, you know, did finally come uh, come to pass. There was a gasping moment of controversy, maybe, maybe not for some in the first half where uh, Alison Becker seemed to have maybe, I mean, we didn't, you know, I think after a relook, we can all, well, I can at least think that it wasn't a penalty, but, you know, there was a discussion there and we have obviously, you know, a professional to actually give us the lowdown here. Christina Uncle joins the show. She's such a busy bee these days, but, you know, we, we got to steal her every now and again. Christina Uncle, how are you? Hi, team. I'm doing well. Doing well. Busy is an understatement at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. But hey, at least it wasn't 
as crazy for you in this game, right? There were a few moments, right? But may maybe not as bad as some others in the previous matches, in the previous, in this campaign. Yeah, not as bad. I mean, there was only that one, you know, kind of shout out, which we all know what we're about to jump into, um, which is funny because from at least from a referee uh, position and at least referee perspective, it once we saw it immediately, I was like, there's no way that's a penalty. That was just my instinct. Um, but yeah, that would be think was the only one. It was at least it was exciting, at least to watch um, the first half was and then kind of. Well Let's, let's break it down there, Christina. To, to tell, what, what were your thoughts immediately, initially from the actual decision or non-decision by the referee in that moment and, and, and after seeing it in replay, what'd you make of it? Yeah, so the initial reaction, uh, you know, the Dutch referee, uh, Mackley there, very well known. Um, this is not foreign to him to be refereeing Champions League finals, uh, let alone Europa finals. Uh, so it, 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 I was glad he was on this match. This match he might have paper, might not have seen, especially after the pass score line. Not to have been as significant, but we know that Villarreal could be a handful for an official from a game management perspective. And so very, very glad that he had that approach um, and that he had that angle to see that. Uh, initial body reaction was just on point. Um, yeah, this is uh, one of the ones where I've gotten some chatter back and people saying, how is this not a penalty? Um, because I think still shots uh, really don't tell you the full story of it, right? Yeah. They show you this indication, but they don't show you. And this is one of the angles that was really difficult. There's essentially two angles that sold you. One was the one that would be the exact same angle that referee Mackley would have been watching at and looking at, which is straight on if we were looking down like towards Allison. And then the other angle was on the right-hand side of Allison coming back from the goal line. Those two angles clearly show that he, in fact, had reached out, had taken his right hand, had made full contact, really hit the majority of his body. And Oshello was really kind of trying to draw that type of a foul uh, and try to get that penalty in that situation. Just on that, um, Christina, I wonder, is it any any different that, and I'm sure the answer is yes, but is it any different that Allison is a goalkeeper? Um, in the, and and is it would it be viewed that he had possession of the ball when it strikes his chest in, in a way that maybe like if this was a centre-back making that challenge, it wouldn't be? Got it. So great question because we had earlier on in the first half, right? Early on in the first half, we did have uh, Favillaria. We had a hand on the ball, right? Referee called it, said that's possession. What we consider possession by the goalkeeper in this sense is if they have control or sometimes we say kind of a hand on the ball and it's between that and kind of a hard place, which would be the ground or something to that effect. Here, because we have to give deference to the goalkeepers, the only individual in the penalty area could properly handle the ball, uh, you know, him exposing himself and making himself out wide, that kind of gives us a little bit more deference to the extension of what he's going to be allowed to kind of have in these types of challenges, allowing to extend himself, make himself bigger. And if he does get contact on the ball before contact on players, uh, then, you know, we're going to give the deference and the benefit of the doubt to the, keep, uh, to the keeper in the situation. I love it. Christina Uncle always here to give us the info and the know-how. Christina Uncle has been busy. She keeps being busy as part of our Champions League campaign, CBS Sports, of course. Christina, that was it, really. We'll let you get on with the evening and have a fantastic rest of your night. And thank you for being part of Kego Lasso. No worries. Thanks, all. Thank you, Christina. That was Christina Uncle. Uh, Jonathan Johnson, I was getting some horrible deja vu and nightmares uh, when she was talking about Goalkeeper procession and Michael <laughs> and Jacob Ramsey. Uh, I, I'm not going to get into that. All right. Uh, well, I, thought, I thought you, I thought you were going to delve into Neilan territory just for oh, a moment. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> it will be a totally different episode if that was the case. Uh, all right. Well, let's move on within uh, this game here. Uh, James Bench, uh, you mentioned Luis Diaz. I honestly, Jurgen Klopp obviously, you know, Altered a few things in the second half, kind of woke them up, woke up the proverbial lion for Liverpool, you know, saying, hey, wake up, you're Liverpool, come on, 
what are you doing? But Luis Diaz really changed the rhythm of this game, I think. He's just, and, and I think there's not an argument. If there ever was a conundrum, and I'm sure it has to do with fitness and, you know, the busyness of a schedule, but Luis Diaz is undroppable at this point. Well, I mean, not if Diego, not if Diego Jota and Roberto Firmino are your other okay, options. Tot- would- okay, they're all available, James Benj, and they're playing Tottenham, and, and Luis so- Diaz is fit you would still start him. I don't think he's undroppable. And, uh, you know, I think there was a strong argument for Jota as a, as a sort of penalty box poacher for this game. But I mean, you're, you know, it's me being facetious. You are absolutely right that he has earned a, a chance to be in the strongest 11. And I think it's pretty clear now that, you know, if the Champions League final were on Saturday, mm. you would expect Klopp to name the front three of, of, of Mane, Salah and Luis Diaz. He is, yeah, this is 21 games in a Liverpool shirt. He is everything you might have argued, but didn't quite know that this front line was missing. He's fearless. He's unpredictable. He's He demands the ball. He looks to beat players off the dribble. He will always take a shot. I mean, I, I, one thing I really like about him is his tendency to shoot from, from range, to, to just try things. He won't look to execute the perfect goal. Um an absolute joy. He kind of he's one of those players um, that puts me in mind of that thing Arsene Wenger said in the latter years of his of his managerial career, talking about how South American America was making the best forwards because it creates these players that are that are fearless, that have learnt on the street, and that have learnt to you know obviously this isn't true of every player, but that have learnt to to control the ball at quite close quarters, maybe not on great pitches, um, and I think you see a lot of that. In Luis Diaz, you know, he reminds me of of players like Alexis Sanchez, even, you know, if I'm being lofty, even a player like Neymar, just in terms of his consistent willingness to try and to try and do something unexpected and beat uh, an opponent. He's an he's an absolute joy. And yeah, you know, Ricardo Gareca said the preview manager said I said a quote a few weeks ago or a month and a half ago saying how this is the part of the game in South America that needs to completely be not just uh, noted, but highlighted, celebrated, this fearless uh, sort of, you know, tendency that we, they're, they're actually everywhere all over South America. I, I just, European just, scouts are sometimes uh, conservative when it comes to acquiring them. It's a damn shame Luis Diaz won't be at the World Cup, uh, you know, just, because he really is so great. Yeah, just to dive in, what one more point? Um, I, I felt like a lot of Liverpool players got inhibited mm. by their mistakes, mm. um, especially as the game started edging away from them. Uh, just because it came up as we were talking, came up on the uh, BT Sport uh, post post show. Luis Diaz absolutely shanked. It was an awful shot that bicycle kick he attempted. It wasn't probably wasn't the best idea because he could have taken a touch. But one, like we say, you know, that emphasizes his fearlessness and his. Uh, willingness to try something but two it also didn't stop him like you know minutes later he was having another shot and another and another i love this guy that's south americans for you that's for sure yeah Yeah. i think as well something else to factor into the debate around luis diaz is the fact that it's rare when you get a team like liverpool uh you know competing on all fronts who make a transfer in january and actually look to use the player heavily and immediately uh and the fact that they have you know, I think has challenged him to raise his game to show what he can do. And he's chipped in so many times already uh, you know, in truly crucial moments. I remember him being absolutely brilliant uh, against Benfica in the previous rounds. And it's, uh, you know, I think 
it's the perfect way, uh, you know, for, for, for somebody to, you know, really start to bed in uh, with a new team when you, there, there is that sense of need uh, as soon as you join the club, you know, because it could have been quite easy for him to just sort of, you know, have a bench role, sometimes make a cameo appearance between now and the end of the season, you know, just to sort of be eased into life. He's been thrown fully into it, uh, as you'd expect from Jurgen Klopp. And, you know, he is sink uh, swimming rather than sinking. Yeah, no, absolutely right. Just one note about Luis Diaz, by the way. After Copa America, when, you know, he did so well the past summer, literally two days, three days, he went back to Barrancas in Colombia and he played in a pickup game uh, for like 90 minutes. And he did literally the same things that he was doing in a professional match against, like, Brazil. It just goes to show how, like, you know, this uh, this beauty of uh, South American flair. You want to stop Luis Diaz, you get the Peruvian right back, Aldo Corzo. That's how we stopped him and didn't get to the World Cup. Okay, sorry, Colombians, we'll move on. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's talk about the quadruple for Liverpool, by the way. Unbelievable stuff. Okay, uh, Sadio Mane deserves a mention, by the way, the highest-scoring African uh, player in Champions League history. That's pretty freaking remarkable for Sadio Mane. But Liverpool in itself, Jonathan Johnson, let's begin with you here. I mean... The quadruple quest continues. It's unbelievable, really, what they're on their way to achieving. Here we go. They've won the League Cup. They're a finalist against Chelsea in the FA Cup, the Premier League. They're still searching for that, of course, uh, with Manchester City and the Champions League. They're in the final, their 10th Champions League final. It's really unbelievable, as well as the fact of all the matches they have been playing. Every match that they could be in, they've been in this season. That's remarkable, Jonathan Johnson. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, we've been saying recently, uh, you know, I think as recently as last week, you know, just how phenomenal this would be as an achievement if Liverpool can pull it off. I'm still of the thinking uh, and I've I've sort of grown in my confidence in this thought uh, after seeing the, the, that 90 minutes just there that, you know, Liverpool may well still slip up in one of these pursuits Uh I'm not sure exactly where it'll come. My suspicion is that it'll be in the league. We discussed this uh, in the pod recently with James. It just feels like, you know, Liverpool probably will win three or four. Uh, I think I, de I definitely think they're good for that. They've got the momentum behind them. They've got that mentality uh, as well. Uh, it's it's going to be very, very tight. It wouldn't surprise me to see this going absolutely down to the wire. Uh, and, you know, assuming that results fall in, in their favour, then yeah, uh, Liverpool absolutely can do it based on, on the evidence of this evening. But if there are teams who can make them doubt, uh, as City could, you know, if they do come up against them in the in the final of the Champions League, then you know, from what we've seen from from Liverpool tonight, something rare, uh, you know, whether the mask uh, slipped for a moment, you know, where Villarreal were putting them under pressure, they can still be gotten at, despite the fact that they seem to be this all-conquering machine that we're seeing on all fronts. I mean, it is possible that what we just saw was the wobble. You know, this is a team that's good enough, that has enough depth that it can, you know, it can address those issues in time for, in time for Saturday night. I mean, that certainly is going to be uh, a tough game um, against Tottenham, probably the, the toughest they have left, but equally, you know, they, they have the quality to win pretty comfortably. I mean, I, it, you know, I, I kind of said after the, the city Liverpool game that actually everyone was talking about how it wouldn't decide the title. And I kind of, thought, wasn't entirely convinced, but thought it might, and that those two teams might just win out from there on in. Mm. Um, and it looks like that may well be the case. Um, you know, who knows about who knows about the FA Cup final? Who knows about the Champions League final? These one-off games, as we've seen, like, you know, 
if Liverpool drop 45 minutes like that against City or even against Chelsea, if Chelsea get themselves back in order, they might not, you know, be able to just flick a switch and get it done in the other 45 minutes. Um, I mean, the other thing to say, everyone kind of would rightly assume that this is a um, an unprecedented season in which Liverpool have played every single game. It's actually not even the first one this century where they played every single game. Uh, 2000, 2001, where they won a... Uh, yeah, uh, the they won a squad, yeah. Yeah, right the way through to the UEFA Cup final and won both domestic cups. Um, but having said that, I think it is a, more impressive when you're... Uh, competing at the top of the league when you cannot afford to drop even two points in the Premier League. It's a it's a remarkable achievement. And we're going to naturally end up comparing their haul to cities. You know, it might be the city end up with nothing. Um, but, um, I mean, these are going to be two of the greatest seasons anyone's had, even if actually one of these teams doesn't win a trophy. I think if one of them doesn't, uh, or it's, if City even don't, because obviously Liverpool have the, the Carabao Cup, uh, I think it will still be it'll be the greatest trophyless season I've ever seen. That's for sure. Yeah, uh, Caleb had a comment there. Why are we talking about a quadruple when we haven't had a double or treble? Because they have a chance of doing a quadruple. That's the whole point. Until they get knocked out of one, then we'll talk about a treble. Then we'll talk about a month. It's it, yeah. Go ahead. It's about they've got six games left. If they win six games in a row, if Liverpool win six games in a row, They're they quadruple could. champions. Yeah, be a quadruple winner. It's, we have to talk about it, Galen. Well, how could you not talk about it? Like, yeah, yes, we could talk about the treble. We talk about the oh, but they're, they're they're on their way to getting a quadruple. The out of time podcast. Who would have had a better season, Liverpool with uh, the Premier League, FA, and Carabao, or Manchester City with Champions League? Uh, who wants to take this one first, Jonathan? Oh, oh yeah, I'll go first. Uh, adding to to James's thoughts, I mean, yeah, um, sort of in terms of the play and what we've seen from City. Uh, I, I take your point that, you know, this will be one of the greatest trophyist seasons ever. But if City don't come away with, with some silverware, you know, notably the Champions League, I think that will feel very, very bitter in two. Like, I mean, we're, we're assuming that they do manage to get past Real. That's a big assumption based on everything that we've seen uh, over the last 10 days or so. But, uh, you know, City still favourites, uh, you know, to get to the final. And then if City were to lose two finals in the Champions League in a row, that would really, really hurt. I, mean, I don't think there'll be any sort of consolation prize like, oh, it's it's been fantastic football. I think they'd rather scrape their way to victory and, and finally lift that trophy. than, yeah. uh, than Especially be if they lose it to Liverpool, I think. But, but then we just, we end up, I mean, you know, of course it, it all matters. But then we sort of end up reducing the expanse of nine months to 90 minutes. And I know that part of that is sport that, you know, that is how it kind of works in the end equally, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't particularly see how it's a failure to fall short against this Liverpool team. I don't see how it's a failure for Liverpool to fall short against this City team, I think, and I, I know this is quite airy fairy, and you know it's uh, hold hands and form a peace sign um, thing, but it, you know, this it it, it has been spectacular. No, and- it has, it has, but it will be a failure. I think when you think about when Leicester City won the Premier League, people talk about Leicester City winning the Premier League and Tottenham completely messing it up, as opposed to thinking back then now. You know, oh, Tottenham, you're so brave. You nearly did it. But Leicester City, I agree with you. There's no shame in losing 
you know, a Champions League final if if you beat Real Madrid to a Liverpool, whatever. But it will be a failure, I think, if a Man City fan is looking around in the July and looking back at this season and having no... But, but, this, but, this, but this is also assuming that they lose the league and the Champions League to Liverpool, what do you which, is a, which is a big... Do you think uh, who, 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 what's your instinct right now with the Premier League? I think that City will just about do it. James Bench? Yeah, I think City will do it. Okay, so I mean, I agree. So there you go. So at least they have one, right? There you go. It's not bad. Okay, but Liverpool continue on this quest, Caleb. Yes, and that will be in the Twitch Treble. So there you go. All right. I think they want to add something as well. Yeah, the, uh, and the Champions League for Liverpool. And I, I, no, no, the City will win the Champions League. Oh, and I you, still think Liverpool. So you, oh, okay. So you jumped. Have, yeah. You got you got them beating Real Madrid then. Oh, easy. Um, <laughs> easy. James Bench. Where's that guy? James Bench. <laughs> and I think and I think Liverpool will still have had uh, a, a fantastic season, even if they also lose to, to Chelsea. And I, and I wouldn't want to hear the word failure attached to their season. Um, I would disagree with that quite vehemently. But yeah. um, I'm going to wait until... I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait till June to see what, what happens. But it, the, the, you make very valid points. Um, all right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll, we'll talk about that game that Man City will win against uh, Real Madrid easily. And then some final thoughts as well, because uh, another team has made it to the Premier League for next season as well. And uh, some not so great news for Chelsea, by the way, regarding their potential new owners. Uh, something that's probably not happening anytime soon. Keo Lasso, Tuesday Champions League recap, Jonathan Johnson. James Benj, LME, will be right back. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. All right. Welcome back to Champions League. Uh, Tuesday recap. Kego Lasso, James Bench, Jonathan Johnson. Let's talk about Wednesday's action. I mean, the first leg was ridiculous. Real Madrid trailing 4-3 to Manchester City. Now they host. The citizens at the Bernabeu. Uh, this is Luka Modric talking about that first game, by the way. We're lucky. Don't make me laugh. It's an unfair opinion. You don't get a Champions League semifinal by being lucky. We're focusing on our job and not what the media says. I take it the question was about fortune savored them a little bit in terms of that result. Jonathan Johnson, they host Manchester City. It's only one goal in it. James Bench, in the preview, we talked about how Man City, even though they won this game, they felt like they lost it in a way just because Real Madrid just wouldn't go away. Jonathan Johnson... How do you see this one going? What What are you thinking as Real Madrid, Carlo Ancelotti, the new champions of La Liga host Manchester City? Yeah, I'm trying to, uh, to, to consider how I'm not going to throw any 
you know, claims out there, you know, too, too, too wild after what we saw from the first leg, because it really, you know, I, I didn't expect that from the opening leg. So I really don't know what to expect from this second leg, because <clears throat> I definitely see both sides scoring. It's just a question of, you know, who the, the majority of the chances fall to. I think, this game favors Real Madrid now because they have the league title tied up. Uh, you know, they they don't really have anything to lose. Nobody expected them to get this far in the Champions League this season. Certainly not after they lost their first leg uh, against PSG. And then people didn't fancy them, uh, you know, onwards from there either against Chelsea. Uh, and City... You know, City have that. We, we've already spoken about it. They have that added pressure in the Champions League. Perhaps that will give them the necessary motivation to go out there, get this done, be very businesslike. But, you know, Pep does have that nasty habit of always overthinking things when there's a slight bit of pressure on. So, you know, really, we'll just have to wait and see, uh, you know, the two sides that turn up on the pitch. It's shaping up to be fantastic, which probably means it's going to be 90 minutes of really dreary, <laughs> no, awful no. football where we can't even buy a goal after all of the great uh, the great play that we've seen over the last week or so. But no, really, I mean, I hope it lives up to the first leg in some way, shape or form. I don't think it can because it was so unexpectedly good. Uh, but I really think that City will be kicking themselves if they don't get past this Real Madrid side. But then I've been bashing Real Madrid since out of the group stages anyway. That's true. Well, I mean, <laughs> but, but you're not necessarily wrong to. I mean, go back to what Luka Modric was saying. Like, it isn't luck to have Luka Modric in your team and to have Karim Benzema in your team. That's not luck. That's good squad building. Having said that, it is also true that, as we said in the in the preview yesterday, that, the, you know, if you take the totality of the 360, 450 minutes of, of or is it must be even more, actually, it's about 480 minutes of uh, knockout football that Real Madrid have played so far. For the majority of them, they have not been the better team. They've been fairly noticeably inferior for quite a lot of them. Uh, like we say, though, it's not luck. If you, the best player in the world, which I would, I think most people would agree, Karim Benzema is right now, he yeah. could win you ties in 10 minutes, you know, as he did against Chelsea, as he did against PSG, and as he may well have done against City without us even really appreciating it. Having said that, like, you know, and again, I'm repeating what I said yesterday. If that's how it keeps going, then eventually what will happen is in the minutes where your opponent is stronger, they'll just put the tie out of your own reach. I mean, we were joking about this in the first leg when City dominated for the first 12 minutes. It was, I can't wait to see what Benzema and Modric are going to do to bail Madrid out of this one. But at some stage, they won't be able to. I think the big thing for City is that they don't have quite the same glaring weak point that they did in the first leg. Jao Cancelo, we know will be back. Kyle Walker looks like he's now available. It's pretty remarkable because there was talk he would miss the whole season, but he's he's flown to Madrid. Walker, if he's even full, you know, if he's fully fit, if he's good enough to play, a huge weapon for nullifying Vinicius. You know, Vinicius is fantastic, and there is more to his game than pace. But if you can if you can match him stride for stride, you do have a good chance of slowing him down. If you force it to then become Benzema creating shots for himself, taking shots for himself, doing everything on his own with a little bit of help from Modric. You make it a little bit easier for you, as well as, you know, having Cancelo back in the team allows you to add bodies to midfield in possession to to make things a bit more controlled, to make things a bit more steady. And that's why, going back to what I said before the break, I think City have cause to be confident. But 
you know, as we say all along with Real Madrid, they're a daft team. This is a daft competition. And uh, sometimes that suits them quite well. Yeah, they're all about chaos. David Alaba, by the way, is in the squad. Uh, many of us didn't that, think so, but he's in the squad. I don't know if that is, means he's in the squad just for vibes or he's actually going to get some, some minutes. Based on the first the leg, that's a hammer blow for Real Madrid, is it? Not? Yeah, exactly. Bad Casemiro is here, by the way, and he played centre-back as well this past weekend, as Ben Hayward reminded us in the preview. Jonathan Johnson, uh, has your opinion on your prediction for the game changed at all? What, what did you have it originally? What is it now? Uh, I had it pegged as a 1-1 draw, which obviously would see City through. Uh, I'm going to stick with that. My shout for Villarreal Liverpool was that Villarreal would win 1-0. So mm. I kind of was hoping that there would be no more goals after three minutes. But I, I'm, com- I'm more confident with Real City. So I'm going to stick with that. 1-1, that'll be 5-4 City on aggregate. But I do think that the return of Casemiro in particular is really important for Real. And I think getting those minutes in over the weekend, uh, you know, that will give a different complexion to, to the midfield. I mean, there was a crazy rumor that came out on Twitter that I saw floating around. I think it came out through the Brazilian media that Real Madrid are looking to, uh, you know, give their midfield a youthful touch. So they'll get rid of the youngest midfielder, Casemiro, uh, and bring in someone even younger just to sort of take away from the fact that Modric is, uh, you know, getting on to, to being geriatric now in footballing terms. Benj? Yeah, I'll, I'll stick with kind of what I said uh, on whenever I emailed my predictions over. I, I think 2-0 to City feels about right. I'm kind of gambling there on some degree of sort of regression to the mean that all these XG numbers will finally actually make sense in a Champions League tie. Um in the end, you know, Madrid might have the best player, but like in pretty much every other spot in the team, they are a little bit outclassed. Um, and so you kind of go for the better team, don't you? I guess. I'm not going for a 4-3 extravaganza, but I do think it's going to go to extra time. And I do think Man City will win it in extra time. But, you know, I said VRL would win today and uh, well they won the first half if that's anything uh we'll take Nacho over an injured Alaba but Casemiro Militao have to step up big well Casemiro I mean we know what he can always deliver but yes it will be tricky regarding that back four for Real Madrid all right uh well some final thoughts here let's talk about some things outside of the Champions League Bournemouth and Nottingham Forest by the way played a very big game in the championship today if Bournemouth won it they automatically head off to the Premier League in the second place position in the championship. Nottingham Forest, uh, Nottingham Forest would have um, leapfrogged them and uh, it would have taken for the last day of the season for them to hopefully get an automatic promotion. But Bournemouth win it and they're through to the Premier League. I was watching a little bit of it. Uh, our Poppy Miller is a Nottingham Forest fan, so I'm sure she's not too happy about that. But the Cherries are back, James Bench. Thoughts? Yeah. Um- not been gone long enough for me to miss them. I have to say, and look, you know, I look at the championship at this stage of the season with my selfish spectacles on. Uh, I've never been to the city ground. Actually, I have to say the Vitality is a really lovely stadium. Bournemouth's a great city. It is a great stadium. And Bournemouth is a great city. And by God, Premier League back at Craven Cottage. We love it. Um, however, I, you know, I, I want to get to go to the city ground. So but congratulations to Bournemouth and to Scott Parker. There was a lot of pressure on him. I think he had to prove a lot. And if they hadn't gone up this season, when the parachute payments start trickling down, it could have been tough. Um, still sets the stage for a really exciting final day as we always get in the championship. 
in many ways, the team that might be just as happy as Bournemouth about this result is Millwall, who uh, played Bournemouth on the final day. Uh, they need to win to have any chance of making the playoffs. If they do, look, what what can I say? I like having as many Premier League teams in London as possible. Fulham's given us one more. I've lost track now. I think it'd be something like seven London teams. Sounds if about it, right. wants to do their speedy maths. Obviously, we're losing you're not you're not considering Luton part of London. <laughs> Absolutely, I mean they do have a London <laughs> airport, don't they? But it's not easy to get to. I take Luton. Um, look at it. I'd, I'd you know, Luton, I'd, it's seven and a half, isn't it? That's, I, don't, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. Luton are doing their best to throw away that playoff place. <laughs> That's right. Um, They're currently the six in the Middlesbrough. Yeah, Premier League's not ready for Millwall. But that, I mean, imagine that Nottingham Forest Millwall in the first round of the playoffs. Oh my goodness, um, that would yeah, be crazy. Be something. Yeah, Jonathan Johnson, thoughts on Bournemouth coming back? And uh, yeah, the playoffs, we know too well about the playoffs as of recent history, of course. What do you make of it? Yeah, absolutely. It um, doesn't surprise me to see Fulham, uh, you know, making it back up again. Uh, yeah, like you said, plenty of uh, more mixed memories, bad memories from the time that we played Fulham and lost good memories from the time that we played Derby uh, and went up. But I, I would have really loved to have seen Nottingham Forest make a, a return to the Premier League automatically. I still hope that they make it up via the playoffs. But when you're looking at that, the way that it's shaping up, you know, the fact that Forest, Sheffield United, Middlesbrough, uh, you know, could still be uh, in the playoffs uh, at this stage. It's, you know, th- there's some really classic names there. Uh, and I don't know, it would be exciting, be nice, uh, you know, for, for me in like a nostalgic sense as well to see some of, some of these clubs, uh, you know, get back. Like James said, Bournemouth, I mean, I wouldn't really consider them a, an established presence uh, in the Premier League. Uh, you know, Huddersfield weren't either when they were there. So I think for me, my hopes, I guess, now that we know that Bournemouth and Fulham are going up would be that either Forest, Sheffield United, or maybe a Middlesbrough, uh, you know, can sneak in and uh, and, and get up. By the way, my my favorite comment of when Fulham went up and uh, the owner, uh, Shahid Khan, was asked about it and he was saying, uh, uh, we don't like to be referenced. We don't want to be referenced anymore as a yo-yo club. We just want to be a yo club. I, I don't know what that means, but it was. It sounds quite Jacksonville, that doesn't it? <laughs> Very Jacksonville. I have to say to any of our listeners from Jacksonville, my only knowledge of the place comes from um, the guy in the good place. Um, <laughs> what's his name? You know um, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I do. Why? Why are you? You're alienating everybody, James Bench. What are uh, you doing? <laughs> Jacks, Jacksonville faithful, please don't leave us uh, ever. Uh, who is that guy from Jacksonville? Which what's the character? Is it is it it's it's the um it's the a the Asian American character who is a, a complete oh, Jason. Yeah, yeah. Starts the series pretending to be a monk who's like on yeah. a vow of yeah. Manny Jacinto's Jason. That's right. That's right. They phenomenal. They, yeah. If anyone hasn't watched that show, one of the best sitcoms in years. Yeah. Fantastic stuff. All right. Let's finish off with Chelsea. By the way, what's going on? Bench, can you tell us? What's, what's, what's uh, yes. Well, I, I don't know if anyone can. Um, but obviously, this was first reported in the Times. Uh, this wasn't necessarily something we didn't see coming, but it equally has hit like a bolt from the blue that Roman Abramovich has now raised the possibility of his one, the 1. 1.5 million that the parent company that he owns, Chelsea's parent company, the 1.5 billion that they have loaned to Chelsea should be repaid. Now, Abramovich, when he announced that he was going to sell the club, had said he did not expect any loans to be repaid. Equally, I think we all understand that billionaires don't become billionaires by writing off billions of pounds. Um, 
this would be you know incredibly complex from people i speak to within the government their number one priority if they allow a sale is to ensure that no money can go back to sanctioned individuals which includes roman abramovich that's what i was told after martin ziegler broke this story earlier today of course the incomparable martin ziegler um it could throw a spanner in the works it could be late last minute posturing to try and get money out of this it could be Roman Abramovich's belief that the British government would not let Chelsea go to the wall. But the clock is really ticking because the uh, deadline, the end of Chelsea's special license is May the 31st. It's not just that. Chelsea need to have a license to play football on about June the 6th, I think it is, when the Premier League agrees its new members for next year. If it doesn't have a license, then it will get chucked out of the league. So you could view this as Abramovich effectively challenging the British government to let Chelsea go to the wall rather than stop him getting his money. I don't know which way the government would go there because as everyone, wherever you are in the world, I, I don't doubt will have seen Boris Johnson has been really working hard to be at the forefront of, uh, of the coalition um, supporting Ukraine. So this is a gamble by Abramovich. I don't, and I don't know which, which way it's going to go. I'm not sure anyone does. And anyone that tells you they do is almost certainly wrong. <laughs> it's just crazy. Jonathan Joseph, you had anything to add to that because it seems like a catch-22 here. Like Abramovich wants to sort of, uh, you know, make sure that the sanctions remove itself from Chelsea, but Chelsea need to, you know, this loan needs to be paid back. I don't know what's going to happen here. And then to that deadline as well. Yeah, I think when they reissue uh, the next set of dictionaries, the, the the word tedious is going to have a new like example extract in it, and they're going to quote the the Chelsea sale process because it, it just feels like it's it's dragging on uh, yeah. so much at the moment. I think I think the most interesting uh, development. For me, most recently, apart from uh, you know this Abramovich news, was the potential entry of uh, of Radcliffe into trying to buy the club as well. Obviously, for me, from a French football point of view, him owning Nice uh, and then suddenly trying to to get in on Chelsea as well. You know where that might leave uh, you know the the French club with an ambitious project uh, with Christophe Galtier as coach if they were to qualify uh, for Europe next season. But it just sounds like there are so many different plays being made by different people at the same time and. Uh, it's. I almost expect it to get a little bit worse before there is some clarity, but I don't. I don't think that Chelsea will be allowed to 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 go to the wall. Uh, I just don't know how this one is going to play itself out at this moment in time because it just seems like there's going to be another few twists and turns to come in the next few days. Yeah, but there's a deadline, as James Bench alluded to. This is uh, some interesting stuff, some crazy stuff, but obviously stay in tune to CBS Sports as we'll be covering it all. Thanks to. These two fine gentlemen and, of course, our team as well. All right, well, that's it. Uh, let these two gents get their kip. James Bench, final thoughts before we say goodbye. Uh, yeah, credit to me. Um, I've gone through this whole podcast without saying the phrase, really madly deeply. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did it just now, but I love it. Yeah, Jonathan Johnson. Guys, it's been a pleasure with you as, uh, as always and looking forward to being proved totally wrong by Real Madrid and City tomorrow night. Yeah, let the chaos begin. Jonathan Johnson, James Bench, LME. There has been Kego Lasso Tuesday Champions League recap. Don't forget that our preview includes Europa League and Conference League previews as well, as well as tomorrow's action between Real Madrid and Manchester City. We'll be back with another recap for that game. I hope it's as entertaining as last week, and we will see how the chaos ensues tomorrow at the Bernabeu. Have a great 
great rest of your evening and see you next time. Que golazo, youtube.com forward slash que golazo, CBS Sports and que golazo pod on Twitter. See you next time. Have a great evening. Hey, everyone, this is Jimmy Conrad, your favorite former U.S. men's national team player and the host of the Call It What You Want podcast. And I'm here to tell you that Viore is a versatile clothing brand that speaks my language. It's inspired from the coastal California lifestyle, just like me. Its products stand the test of time, just like me. And also, just like me, it endeavors to inspire others to live vibrant, healthy lives. Viore gear is designed to look great in everyday life while also being perfect for any workout activity. I'm currently rocking the men's Sunday performance jogger, And don't let the name deceive you. You can wear these babies any day of the week and in any situation. I'm talking going to the office, running errands, the gym, whatever your heart desires, because Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. So get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash sports. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash sports. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Again, go to viore.com sports and discover the versatility of Viore clothing.